Hey everybody and welcome to episode 20 here on What About Therapy. I'm Enoch Fossum, I'm a certified mindfulness life coach. And I'm Austin Ivey and we are both going to school to become licensed marriage and family therapists here in the state of Utah. And today we're going to be talking about mindfulness and meditation, the benefits of it and how it can affect you in your daily life. So let's get right into it. All right, you guys, before we begin, I just want to talk about social media real quick and our Instagram. So you can follow us on Instagram at whatabouttherapy, and you'll just see our little logo, the podcast logo there is the um, our little profile picture. So go give us a follow there if you haven't already, because we're going to really start to capitalize on using social media a lot more and like doing little, you know, one to two minute videos of just little like helpers or reminders that can be just really fun. I mean, I've seen accounts that do it and I really like it. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we're going to start doing. Yeah. And I'm working on a online certificate for acceptance and commitment therapy, just learning the basics of it so I can be a little bit more knowledgeable in that realm. We're actually both working on that. We're going to be done with that here to future time so we can have an episode that long awaited episode on acceptance and commitment therapy the topic we always bring up and we're going to be talking a little bit about today Um, but we're both working on certification so we can both be a little bit more accredited to that and a little more knowledgeable on the subject and share more um, valuable information with you guys so we can all come together and get better with our lives I guess that sounds uh yeah yeah um and that, and I'm also going to be working on my mindfulness habit coach certificate as well, like Enoch, so I can be a little bit more knowledgeable in that realm as well. Also, I know that you hear this a lot, like in YouTube and other podcasts, but if you do really like this podcast or a specific episode, then really do leave a rating and review and let us know what you think about it, because that's there's a whole algorithm thing with podcasts, with YouTube, all that stuff where the more likes or the more comments, the more popular it gets in a sense. Like when people search up, let's say therapy, and we have a good amount of comments or reviews on this podcast, then it would be one of the top podcasts that shows up. So that's kind of how that works. And so really, if you do like it, share it with a friend, leave a rating and review, because that's really how we'll be able to reach and help as many people as possible. And that's the whole point of this podcast, the whole reason really our incentive behind starting it is, I mean, one, to help us understand what we're learning and go through that process, but also to really help people because we know that what we're learning and what we talk about really can help people. And so that's really how really you can do your part in helping people as well is just by leaving a simple comment or a simple five-star review. (laughs) Five. (laughs) I mean, unless you really think it's a four and if it's a four, let us know why because we really... We love feedback like that. Yeah. Even if you think of it's a one, leave it the one. We'd rather have like a one star review than a no star review, like or no review at all. That, yeah. that those reviews really, those interactions on the podcast do help us out a lot. And like like Enoch said, putting our name towards the top of the list when people search up this topic, and um, we want to touch as many people as we can through the things we have to share because we yeah. what we have to share is important, and so we just appreciate that a lot. Yeah, and in the future, we are probably going to start doing giveaways and all that good stuff with the ratings and the comments. And so, hey, start early. Yeah. And we also may be getting sponsored here in the future. So there may be some stuff to give out. Just saying. Wink, wink. Yeah, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You can't see me wink, but I'm winking. 
Maybe you can hear it. Who knows? <laughs> Insert winking sound here. I, I heard your wink. <laughs> All right. Anyways, so we're just going to hop right in here. We're going to talk about mindfulness and meditation. They really go hand in hand for the most part. I mean, so we'll, we'll get to that. But there are a lot of people that go through life, but they don't experience it. They just go through it. And as we were talking about this, Austin brought up a good point about Walter Mitty. Yeah, the movie, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, um, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. If anyone hasn't seen it, um, the guy, he he has a pretty, I guess, boring life. He's like a photo negative developer. editor, a photo developer yeah. for a magazine. And um, he's single and he takes care of his elderly mom. And he's kind of the the man of the family when it comes to like his family of origin because his dad passed away. So he has this life that's kind of um, missing substance in a way. And so... Um, he zones out a lot and has these fantasies about how his life, he wishes his life would be. And so he's, like Nick said, there's, he's one of those people that's kind of going through life without truly experiencing it. And so it was just, a, if you haven't seen that movie and you want to get a better idea of what it's like to, um, to get a better grasp on reality and really experience life, that, that movie's a really good example of moving from, um, living in a, I guess a false reality into a, a rich environment um, like a rich value fill environment. But yeah, that's one thing we talked about as we were getting for this episode is um, Walter Mitty. Is it a good example of how mindfulness can, can help your life? Yeah. And I think as you go throughout the episode or as you go throughout the movie, he becomes more mindful of his thoughts mm -hmm. and mindful of, of what he wants. And then yeah. he starts to really put it into action and make it his reality. Yeah. Which is really fun. He kind of takes control of um, the things that he, fantasized about and kind of put it into his, his everyday life and made it real by committed action, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So super good movie. 10 out of 10. Amazing. Yep. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> for me anyway. <laughs> yeah. For me too. <laughs> yeah. But as I was thinking about this too, it's like the brain has a safety mechanism kind of, if you will. I mean, it's not really a safety mechanism, but it you have this way of escaping reality when life isn't the way you want it to be just like Walter Mitty I mean you know when you're just sitting there and you're bored like we talked about in the last episode your brain has a way of making it feel like you're being productive when in reality you're not or if you're feeling stressed or anxious whatever you can go into this zone or a whole different world to escape this and to not really experience what is happening you just kind of go through it you know nonchalantly and not not really think about it or not really experience it so if you go back and listen to episode eight here on the podcast that's also about mindfulness and i'm not going to go too much like repeat myself there in what i talked about there but essentially anyone can practice mindfulness wherever they are now What's the difference between meditation and mindfulness? Mindfulness is a state. And meditation is simply the vehicle to get you into that state, if that makes sense. It's definitely something that is becoming a lot more popular, especially in the, the past recent years. And I think it's due to just really all these studies that have been coming out showing all the benefits that can come from meditation and practicing mindfulness to be, I guess, practicing meditation to get into that state of mindfulness. And most of the studies, if not all of them, have shown that 
only five minutes a day can bring about all the benefits that come from mindfulness and that can come from meditation. And it's something that really struck me as I was um, learning about um, mindfulness in general, like for the past like six months or so, um, is that something that I didn't know beforehand was that a lot of therapeutic approaches that therapists have used over the last really long time since therapy has really even become a I guess a field of study is that not a lot of the approaches that people use are researched or evidence-based. It was more like theories. And like, if you think of the more popular therapists and psychologists of like the last century, like the Sigmund Freud type of people, Freudians, Freudians, that was, it was all based off of theories and uh, like very theoretical approaches. Yeah. Um, and so these mindfulness practices and meditation practices, they aren't just like hippie, like monk Tibetan monk things like these are scientifically researched in the United, in the United States. And, um, that, that really helped me as a person because I'm very evidence-based. Like I'm very skeptical when it comes to things. Like whenever I see a, a thing like this substance will help you with this. And it's like a, like a snake oil pill or whatever, like stuff yeah, like that in the medicine yeah. world. Where it's like, if you take this supplement, it's going to help you here, but it's not evidence-based. Um, so for me, I need evidence-based things to help. And so if you're like that, just know that mindfulness has been studied very in depth and it, it's been proven to help with those things Enoch was talking about with um, like these five, these benefits that we're going to be talking about today. Um, it's, it's scientifically proven. So let that be your guide as we go through this day that it's not hippie stuff. This is, this is proven by science. Yeah. But let me tell you, the monks, the Buddhists, like they had it right, man. Oh, absolutely. You know, all these yeah. studies are coming out and they just, they simply just didn't have, you know, the technology to... Mm -hmm understand what they were doing they just knew that it worked and it does which is really cool and it's awesome to see the science that comes out to back it up and yeah when like the monks are i mean i'd even say some hippies they had it right you oh know, yeah like in a way yeah yeah it's cool to see that cool to see what they were actually talking about and put it onto paper and put it into facts research science pretty cool yeah and just two things actually that mindfulness can benefit there was a study that was done about mindfulness okay being in that state so not necessarily meditation but being in the state of being mindful it was thought to increase the ability to regulate your thoughts and also to increase your cognitive flexibility and that's a that cognitive flexibility and in the world of actor acceptance and commitment therapy it's known as psychological flexibility um, it's defined as being in contact with the present moment, fully aware of emotions, sensations, and thoughts, welcoming, welcoming them into your life, including those undesired ones. And so when you're practicing these mindfulness uh, meditation practices that we're going to be talking about today, that's really what we're, I guess, we're, uh, we're working towards is to be able to be fully present in the moment and be aware of your emotions and feelings. Yeah, I think it's really cool. To look at the like how words have originated you know mo a lot of them come from like greek latin mm -hmm. all that stuff but the word mindfulness originally comes from the poly word sati hope i say that right if not you know sorry which means having awareness attention and remembering and it's also described as a moment-to-moment -moment awareness yeah, and, and um, that awareness and this psychological flexibility that you can develop um, through these practices, um, and this this has helped me, ex especially as, as practicing these things, 
um, psychological flexibility can act as a buffer between stress and the negative psychological and physiological outcomes of stress. And so as when you, when you can properly develop a good mindfulness practice, you can decrease the stress in your life. And that's why meditation, like that's why the, the monks had it right. The hippies kind of had it right. These meditation practices, they, they truly can put a buffer in between stress. You're still going to feel stress. Kind of how we talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, with psychological flexibility, it's all about welcoming undesired emotions like stress. The big indication, or I guess the big difference is that there's going to be a buffer in between those negative outcomes of that stress. You're still going to feel it. That's part of the practice is feeling those feelings. But if you're doing it right, you're not going to have the those terrible outcomes that come from stress. Like you're not going to be, your hair's not going to be falling out. You're not going to be sick to your stomach all the time. And you're not going to be anxious and depressed if you can truly develop a good daily mindfulness practice. Yeah, I definitely say so. And that's really cool. And there are two ways to start that we're going to talk about here. There are a lot of ways that you can do uh, like mindfulness practices. Like I have the Monday mindfulness and meditations that we're doing. And you can just do that same like one episode over and over again, and you'll still get the same benefits. You don't have to switch up the meditation or switch up the, the mindfulness practice to really get the benefits of it. But first, I just want to talk about our thoughts. Okay, so we get into the habit of saying, I am depressed, you know, or I am sad, I am this, I am that. And you're really not. The Buddhists talk about how you don't have a self. And that's, you know, a topic for a whole nother day. I've talked about it a little bit in the past. But when you label yourself like that, you really aren't depression or you aren't anxiety. So rather than saying I am statements, just switch it to I feel. I feel anxious or I feel depressed. And that can really make a big difference in the way you feel about yourself and the feelings that you are feeling. So we're now going to talk about breathing. And breathing is important. Breathing is, I mean, essential for life. You stop breathing, you die. Simple. <laughs> <laughs> That's the simple way of breathing. I highly recommend it. But there are also ways to breathe correctly. A lot of us don't breathe correctly. And we're not necessarily this episode going to talk about how to breathe correctly. However, I do want to talk about how breathing can put you into that mindfulness state, especially when you're doing like meditation practices and you work on your breathing. So let's first understand how breathing can affect the heart rate. This is really interesting. When you breathe in, that triggers something in your brain connected with your heart to tell your heart to start beating faster when you breathe in. However, when you exhale, when you breathe out, that tells your brain to slow down the heart, which is really interesting. And so if you want to... So it's called respiratory sinus arrhythmia, or RSA for short. So that's why slow breathing or deep slow breathing is linked with many relaxation methods or meditation. Because when you work on your exhale, that's the key for slowing down your heart rate, is a slow exhale. Because when you do that, that slows down your heart rate a ton. But if you exhale quickly, then that can actually start speeding up your heart rate. So you want to make sure you 
are breathing correctly and if you want to slow down your heart, if you want to get relaxed, just know that you focus on the exhale and not necessarily the inhale. That's why I think a lot of meditation practices or breathing exercises, there's a longer exhale than there is inhale. Just because of that, it slows down the heart rather than increases it. Yeah, and a good um, practice with that that I've learned, um, it's actually from TikTok. As terrible as the app can be sometimes with wow. addiction and... something positive from yeah, TikTok. Yeah, there's this great psychiatrist I follow on TikTok, and he um, he's, in a, he's like one of the leading researchers on um, functional brain scans and how addiction affects functional... Like, the, the formation of addiction patterns, and he researches it through doing brain scans. And it's actually really impressive, but he had this really good video on meditation. I guess I should say clip. I don't know what you call TikTok videos, whatever you want to call no, them. I don't know. Yeah. Great clip on breathing. And he says a good just baseline breathing exercise is to always double the amount of exhale than you do inhale. So if you're going to be breathing in for four seconds, exhale for eight seconds. If you're going to be breathing in for five seconds, exhale for 10. So just to double the amount of seconds that you exhale compared to your inhale, because like Enoch was saying, the focus really is on the exhale. That's where the the calming effect comes. Because if you think about a lot of the psychological pathology that people deal with, it's a lot of anxiety. And we think about anxiety, it usually is like really shallow, quick breathing, increased heart rate so that's kind of like the physiological effects and when your body starts to feel that like you have an increased heart rate your body and your mind are directly connected so if your heart rate is up and your breathing is really shallow even if you aren't really anxious your brain's going to think you're anxious it's kind of like that symbiotic relationship if you're anxious then your heart rate's going to go up but if your heart rate's going if your body's going to think you're anxious yeah and so if you feel yourself just in a moment that's kind of anxiety causing, we have these things all day long, focusing on your breathing really can make all the difference and just eliminating those physiological effects to try to lessen those psychological effects. The brain and the body are connected, so you do need to choose one and try to focus on it. So if you can't control your psychological aspects of your anxiety too much right now, then you can't focus on these breathing. And in turn, that will help you control the psychological aspects of your of your mental health issues. So these, these really can make a huge difference. And I, I've noticed it in my life that um, just breathing and taking a moment, um, I call it kind of like a be still moment, yeah. just to breathe and to take that moment to realize that, no, you're not going to die. You know, take that long exhale. It's, it's so therapeutic to really contact the present moment and come back to reality and not take a, not go into a Walter Mitty moment, even if yeah. those fantasies are bad, like those ruminations that anxious people get. Breathing can really be a, a fantastic, um, I guess, doorway out of that moment. Yeah, those, those moments. Tool, so yeah, like um, yeah, tool. That's a. It's a great tool to get out of those moments of, of rumination and, and just anxiety, almost anxiety attacks too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, because I think usually when, people don't know what to do when they're feeling anxious or depressed, it's like they're in a hole and mm-hmm. they have the wrong tool, you know. They think that, I mean, they're not even aware that they have a shovel and they're digging themselves into a deeper hole. Yeah. When if you're mindful and you can, you know the tools, you know the breathing exercises that can bring you back to the present moment, it's like you now have a ladder just to boop, 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 climb out. Yeah. You know, that kind of sounded like Mario. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's stopping the the downward spiral. There's a really good book that my father-in-law gave me, like an audio book called The Downward Spiral. And... Um, basically talks about how depression is a, it's like a, a dominoes, that's what they're called, like a domino effect that goes in like a downward facing spiral. And 
when we get into those like parts of our lives or like we're in a kind of a funk, like a, it could be year long, could be a week, just could be a day where you find yourself just getting worse and worse and worse. Taking a moment to stop that downward spiral is the difference between getting better and getting worse is taking one step to put a finger in front of the next domino and stop it from going downhill. And a breathing exercise could be that stopping that one domino from hitting the next and things getting worse. And like, again, this is scientifically based. This is research. If you want to stop that downward spiral, you can implement this into your life. Yeah. And more and more addiction recovery programs are actually implementing mindfulness and breathing because when you think of like take pornography, for example, when you think of looking at pornography, your brain automatically triggers dopamine and it triggers epinephrine or adrenaline and adrenaline gets your heart rate pumping like going fast which again increases dopamine and kind of just this like that I guess downward spiral Mm -hmm. if you want to call it that domino effect where if you don't stop it you're much more likely to relapse or uh, you know go into that habit again because you didn't stop the spiral and being mindful when you do have those thoughts you can start doing some breathing exercises to slow down your heart rate and the epinephrine, the adrenaline, will those levels will start to go down and you're much more likely to overcome those feelings and just go through it, you know, instead of following through with those feelings. It's kind of that buffer. Yeah. You know, it gives you this chance to make a better decision than if you weren't mindful. Yeah, it's almost like it, um, you hear the term like, um, I couldn't help myself or this person made me do this or that. Yeah. And um, taking that be still moment, that moment to take a breath in, a long, deep breath to, I guess, ground yourself. Um, you can separate the stimulus to the reaction. I think that's a lot of people, yeah. myself including, especially like when driving, is there is like a, there's the stimulus, someone cuts you off, and so you immediately go to the reaction. Yeah. And that reaction could be honking, swearing, speeding up to them and tail, like tailgating them. Like for me, like with the driving context, whatever it is, if like your husband, if you're a wife that has a husband that's a little bit more, I don't know, standoffish and they do something to make you mad, you snap at them. The stimulus, they leave their clothes out and um, that's the stimulus and the immediate reaction is you yelling at them and then you're in a, then you're in an argument these breathing exercises can be the buffer in between the stimulus and the reaction where you take a moment to take back your agency in a way. And so it's the same thing with addiction. You know, if you, there's the stimulus, you have some type of trigger, like if you're an alcohol addict or a porn addict and you see something on the TV, like a provocative image on the TV and that ignites a stimulus in your brain, this part of your brain that's severely addicted to those images and you immediately go into the reaction, whatever that may be, a be still moment with a breathing exercise can be that buffer in between the choice and the stimulus, or I guess yeah. it is the choice between the reaction and the stimulus. Yeah. There's a choice right in there. And, um, sometimes that choice isn't always easy to make, but it can be a lot easier when you implement mindfulness into your life. Yeah. There's a big difference in between reacting and responding. And that's another, another uh, topic that we can go into in the future, but reacting is immediate. Responding is you're mindful and you choose how you respond and so just think about that as well now 
real quick, there are also two things that, two benefits that can come from just simply breathing. I talked about it in my, I think it was the very, the most recent Monday mindfulness and meditation or no, two, yeah, two episodes ago where he talked about shamatha breathing and the benefits that can come from it is simply you can pay attention more and it decreases age-related cognitive decline. And so your memory, your mind will essentially be stronger and healthier as you go throughout life if you just simply pay attention to your breathing, which is crazy. And that's something the monks definitely got right Mm -hmm. and super cool to see the science behind that. So now we're going to jump to another method. So there's breathing that you can always focus on. And here's another thing that you can start to pay attention to as you go throughout your day. And it's going to be to observing your inner critic, or some people call it your Bob, simply because you want to, this, this inner critic that you have isn't you, okay? So you don't label your inner critic as yourself. We're going to go through some four critics here and just know that they're not you. So it really helps to label it as in like a different name. Like, I don't know, I'm not gonna say, you know, someone you don't like, make it their name. Like Steve, <laughs> yeah, Bob. Actually, Steve Jensen, you're awesome. <laughs> you're not someone I don't like. I love you, you're the man. So not Steve, but Bob, I don't know any Bobs. I don't know any Bobs. I have an uncle named Rob and we called him Uncle Bob. But yeah. I don't know, I'd probably think of some some name but yeah that, that's a good idea to think of someone that you really don't like that um you can or just a name that you don't really like yeah <laughs> that, probably if you don't like them then i would suggest to uh you know mend that relationship <laughs> that's another thing this is a therapy <laughs> podcast <laughs> maybe maybe don't do that think of a of your least favorite movie character call it thanos or something i don't know there like the, the, if you the, like thanos i don't know about <laughs> that but hey. then you need therapy <laughs> anyways <laughs> Um, All right. So the first critic is the worrier. Now, as I'm reading this, we're talking about the worrier. If you think, oh, that's me, then that's something that you can start to pay attention to. Or that's something that you can label your Bob as the worrier. So the worrier points out everything that can go wrong. I know a lot of people like this. And again, just because you have some, like, let's say, worrier tendencies doesn't make you like a worrier because all of us, I mean, you know, I point out some things that we can do better, point out things that went wrong here and now and again. But when I recognize it, I can then just stop it right there. That's where it begins. But we first need to identify what the critic is. So they also stir up emotions of anxiety and fear by imagining disasters or expecting the worst. I do this quite a bit, actually, when I hear scary noises at night, like when it's just me and my wife just laying there in bed. She's asleep, but I hear something like it could have been the back door sliding open or something. (laughs) I just imagine the worst things possible. But, hey, anyways, I have worrier tendencies. Mm -hmm. I think we all do. But overestimating the odds of something bad happening is also, I mean, you know, that's the same thing. And the worrier also tends to say, what if? Hmm. You know, and that goes with expecting the worst. Like, what if this happened? What if that happened? Instead of just living in the moment and going through to see instead of fantasizing about it and 
thinking about the what if. Yeah. And that's, that's my, I'm a big warrior too. Um, so I, I, I tend to go through that a lot. And the next inner critic is ironically called the critic, um, because this is one that constantly judges and evaluates your own behavior and points out your flaws. It likes to jump to any mistakes that you make and reminds you of past failures. It's a lot of ruminating about who you were or what you did, um, almost making fun of yourself. I, that's one of my problems is that like I, um, I judge my past self a lot and the past decisions I've made. So this would be another one of mine that I, this is probably my number one inner critic is the critic. I criticize myself a lot. I'm very hard on myself. Um, this is one is maybe not so much as me, but um, the critic also kind of pushes you to compare yourself to other and assumes that they're judging you. And it even minimalizes your accomplishment and tends to say that like you're an idiot. And so if like, let's say you've actually done something pretty well, like, I don't know, you've made an amazing meal for your family and the critic will jump in and say, there's this thing that you did wrong. Yeah. And there's this thing that you did wrong, even though no one else is even noticing it. There's, there's things that you're noticing that no one else would even think to look at. And that's a tendency of this critic to do that. Yeah. And especially in the world of social media, I think the critic is really big and really popular with a lot of people. I mean, me included because we constantly compare and judge ourselves and others when on social media. And so the critic just thrives on social mm -hmm. media. And that's a reason why it can be really addicting and hard to get off is the critic. So now we're going to go to the victim. So the victim tells you that you're hopeless or that you're not making progress or that it's too hard. Something you're doing is, is too hard to do or you can't do something. That's kind of like the critic as well. And it tells you that there is something wrong with you or you're incapable or unworthy or you're not smart enough. There are too many obstacles in your way. It's not your fault. Um, and it tends to say, I can't. So I can't do this. I can't do that. That's mm -hmm. a, a really simple one. Yeah. And the last one um, could be called the perfectionist. This is one that in its best as you kind of like a best interest in mind, but not really because it does push you to be better and do better. But the negative aspect of it is when you, even when you are doing better, it'll still feel like you're not doing enough. And I feel like this is the tendency for a lot of, um, a lot of young women. And I guess really anyone really like young people in general that I've noticed for myself and people that I know around my age that no matter what you do, it's not going to feel like you're enough. Um, it's always going to feel like there's something you could be doing that is something more. Um, mistakes and setbacks must be avoided at all costs or very quickly moved past. The perfectionist will push you to seek external validation, achievement, and status. Um, acceptance by others is the is of the utmost importance. It probably even stops you from taking action because you're afraid to fail. The words and like sentences that can be associated with this it could be, I'd need to do better or I'm just not good enough. And this is, um, this is one that I feel like has touched anyone, probably most people at any given time in their life where there's something that you're doing that just doesn't seem like you're good enough. And, um, it can be very, very detrimental to mental health to think that everything you're doing is not good enough, at least for me in my own life and people that I know, seeing them going through these terrible <laughs> feedback loops of, I do this thing, it's not good enough, so I need to do it better. I do this thing, and I get this endless loop. It's yeah. just, um, it's so destructive, this perfectionist that we have inside of us. Yeah, and a lot of it can be really subtle. 
we've talked about shitting on yourself, right? The should. Mm-hmm. We can do a whole episode on that, actually. That's yeah. kind of fun. <laughs> but even when you say simple things like, oh, I should have done that, that's, that's shitting on yourself. That's yeah. saying, in, in a sense, I need to do better or I wasn't good enough. Yeah, that, that version of myself was not good enough. Like the Yeah. And like the, the should, it's not always bad. Like you should say I love you to your wife or you, you should do this or that. But it's like when that becomes like a pathological obsession where you're always thinking about things that you should be doing or could have done better, that's where really that perfectionist really starts to take over your life. Because there's nothing wrong with um, thinking about things that you probably should do that would improve your life. That's That's the first step of... Of therapy, really, there you there's things that you should be doing that you can do to make your life better. But when it gets into this, like you should do it because it wasn't good enough, you're not good enough, and yeah. you should do this because people are going to judge you if you don't, or because of this issue or that issue. Um, just like most things, there's a there's a fine gray line that when you step into it, that's where it can be super detrimental. Yeah. So once you have your inner critic. Um, like in mind, once you have it identified, then again, put a name to it, make it your Bob. And now we're going to talk about three quick ways to take your back, your power back from this, this inner critic or from Bob. So number one is ignore him, ignore Bob, because Bob, a lot of the times doesn't really know what he's talking about. So you don't really, you don't need to take him seriously and tends to blow things out of proportion that are a lot of cognitive distortions in these critics. And so if you go listen to episode one or two and three, I think, the very first ones, I talked about cognitive distortions. And those are getting a lot uh, more popular, really popular as as the days go on. And we'll probably do another episode on that because I think those are really important to understand and really mm-hmm. ingrain and be able to identify in yourself. But so Bob blows things out of proportion okay proportions there are a lot of things that he doesn't know what he's talking about so you can simply ignore him or you can imagine that bob is wearing something funny like just like in harry potter with the dementors yeah they're ridiculous yeah Yeah. ridiculous you have to use that spell on your inner critic on bob say ridiculous and putting in something putting put him in something ridiculous and just like Harry Potter, that takes the Dementor's power away. And we have those same kind of spells in a sense. You're a wizard in your mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, You can do those kinds of things with your thoughts. I do think it's important to note that um, I think Bob is well-intentioned a lot of the time. Um, yeah. These like these almost automatic thoughts that we get from him or it, whatever you want to call it. These automatic thoughts that we get. They're well-intentioned because our brain wants us to live forever. Um, it's, that's its job. That's like the main function of the brain is to keep you alive. Yeah. And thank goodness. Thank Yeah. Thanks. Shout out to Bob for trying to keep us alive. But, um, like Enix said, he, he loves throwing things out of proportion, catastrophizing things. And so it's good to remember that a lot of the time, these things that we're getting are well-intentioned. They're trying to, he's trying to keep us alive, you know? And like, it has a false idea of what being alive is like, and it's a lot of avoidance for Bob and running from things or being a perfectionist or whatever it is, whatever your critic is, whatever your Bob is, it's typically well-intentioned just because it's like a biological trying to keep you alive thing. So it's good to note it as thanks Bob, but no thanks Bob, that type of thing. Like ignore him and just like, thanks anyways. It's like when the guy tries to um, get you, tries to sell you something at Cabela's or something, you're like, (laughs) thanks, but no thanks. Like he's just there trying to do his job, you know? And yeah, 
don't pay much attention to them. You could get sucked in and be there talking about the vacation for 30 minutes or whatever they're trying to sell you or the credit card, the Cabela's credit card. I was, I was at Cabela's last week. And so I was trying to think about all the salesmen that, that tried to sell me stuff. Yeah. And so like maybe you could think of your Bob as the salesman at the store trying to sell you a, like a, a card or a credit card for that, that shop that, you know, they're just there doing what they think is best trying to help you but it's not super helpful so just kind of keep walking and say thanks anyways so that's that's kind of the way i look at it that first part of ignoring bob is giving him the a little bit of attention because he's just trying to help but yeah and that's a big part in acceptance and commitment therapy as well as yeah. to just accept him acknowledge what is say okay like i see you i know i notice you thank you but i don't have to believe you i'm gonna just ridiculous exactly and yeah. get you out of here but I acknowledge it happened. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to avoid it. And because when we try to use avoidance to get rid of something, it just tends to come back even stronger. So, which is just like the, uh, don't think about the purple polar bear wearing a green leprechaun hat. You know, don't think about it. But I know you are right now. So don't think about it. Avoid it. Yeah. And no matter what you do, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. It just stays there even stronger yeah just like the 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 idea of psychological reactance this idea that um that you're gonna it's basically like the rebellion part of our brain that you're basically going to do whatever you're told not to do like whenever it says don't look you typically look or like (laughs) i feel like or heads up your head usually goes up and like you start looking around for whatever's coming your way you know it's just like this natural tendency that we have as humans to just react to things so yeah yeah so number one ignore bob number two protect bob this is really interesting because you think you think oh aren't i supposed to ignore him well it depends because bob is really he's easily influenced okay you can put a spell on him do make him do whatever you want in a sense so ask if you really believe what bob is saying pay attention to your thoughts and see if they sound similar to someone else's opinions or what someone has said to you or what you talked about with someone or maybe there was a negative comment on Instagram or Facebook to you. And just think back if what you're thinking or what Bob is saying is something that someone's already said or something you've already processed in your mind. Because most of the time, what you intake is bound to be repeated, is bound to come back. And so recently, I've been trying to do my best to really watch my inputs because your inputs are really what your brain is going to think about what it's Bob's ammunition in a sense, what he has to use against you or what he has to bring up in your mind because you've already, you already in, intake, intook that intook. Is that a word? Intaken? Intaken. Something like that. <laughs> something more, yeah, but it's something you've that. already brought into your mind. And so Bob can use that against you. Yeah, Exactly. So number two, protect Bob. Protect Bob. Yeah. So number three is to observe Bob. So notice what Bob is thinking. If you don't like it, bring your attention to something else to change what you're thinking. You are in charge, but it first starts with recognizing and understanding what is really going on. Because once you can do that, you can then bring your attention to something else and start changing what you're thinking. Yeah, I, I think the the tendency that we have as like as a culture now is that we view, I guess Bob, and I think Bob is just representative of most mental health pathologies that 
our brains are either an enemy working against us or a friend working with us. It's either, it's got to be one of those two things. But yeah. in reality, Bob and just our brains in general, they're, they're just tools for us to learn, to learn how to use. Yeah. Um, and I, I just don't, I think most people never learn how to use it correctly. And I didn't until I started studying therapy that I knew like you can fully control your brain. And sometimes it's not very easy to control Bob. It's very difficult at times, especially if you have some deeply ingrained, like, bad habits and bad thinking patterns. And so your brain is not an enemy to, to wage war against or a friend to be like, I don't know, like it's not a friend or your enemy. It's a tool that you can learn how to control. Bob is a tool that you can learn how to control. Yeah. It's a tool to keep you alive and it's, it's, it does its job, but sometimes not in the way that can really benefit us the most. So, okay. I hope, you learned something new in this episode. And these are things, again, like we talked about last time, these are things that you can put into practice right now. You can simply, when you're done listening to this, observe your breathing. You know, how are you breathing right now? Do you kind of have shallow breaths or whatever it is? And remember, if you want to slow down your heart rate, you can just breathe out longer, exhale longer. Like Austin said, the TikTok guy said to exhale twice as long as the inhale. So... Thank you for joining us this week, and we'll talk to you all next time. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please leave a rating and review. That would mean the world to us. That's how we'll be able to reach and help as many people as we can. If you know of anyone that could possibly benefit from this episode or any other one of our episodes, please share it with them. You can also subscribe or follow to be notified when our future episodes come out. Thank you all for your support. Until next time.